All right. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for that update. We are all praying for that home. <laughs> I know worship team is especially praying. Yeah, I heard an amen. <laughs> How isn't it kind of? I was just thinking. I was just thinking about this. We're in a hotel, right? But you know, when you go to a hotel, right? It's nice at first, and then kind of want to go home. Not work. Not work. Work. Yeah. All right. I don't know. You know, as I've gotten a little older, I find myself kind of turning into the warning person. I start giving out a lot of warnings at home. My daughter's about to go out, hey, be careful of blank, 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 right? Now that she's driving, right? Hey, be careful of blank, blank, blank. Make sure you get home by this time because bars close at, you know, two. Want we'll to be on the road before bars close, all right? I, I don't know. These were all like warnings. I don't know where I picked up these warnings from. Uh, but yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got warnings for everything. Make sure you do this before you do that. And I kind of bring that up. I, I think when you read this passage, it looks like Christ is giving us two warnings, right? You got this warning about hypocrisy, and then you got this warning about fearing God versus fearing men. But the way I see it, and I, I think it's valid, I think, yeah, we do have some warnings here. This first warning of hypocrisy is, I think, a really important warning. It's something that, first of all, that word hypocrisy is, is something we, we're familiar with. We hear uh, people have, uh, atheists have used that to say, that's why I don't go to church. This is why I don't believe in Christ. This is why I would never become a Christian. Right? The church is full of hypocrites. We've heard things like that, or we've, we, we understand things like that, or maybe we think the hypocrisy is real within our own lives, within our own hearts. But the way I see it, yeah, I, I think there is that warning, and, and, and we're going to go over it. We're, we're going to talk about what that warning really is, who it was given to. And then I think the warning to fear God, the way I see it, I think it's actually the cure, the cure for hypocrisy. All right, and so hopefully I'll be able to break it down in these next few minutes. The setting of this, it's given to us in verse 1. Thousands of people gathering together, and this crowd is so great that it's, Luke describes it as people trampling one another. I don't know if you can imagine such a crowd. Now, before Luke chapter 12 and Luke 11, you know, it wasn't like all of a sudden there's a crowd in chapter 12 that wasn't there in chapter 11 to kind of set the table for what we're looking at today, Jesus had been teaching, and his teaching had been gathering attention, I mean, garnering attention, and thus gathering people. And the crowd kept getting larger and larger and larger as Jesus was going through his ministry. And in, in the latter half of chapter 11, we do find a Pharisee inviting Jesus into his home for a meal. And so it's, if, you, if you could imagine a crowd following Jesus around, a large crowd, and this crowd getting bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is going to take a break, and he's going to go into someone's house, and he's going to have a meal in that house, and in the meantime, now everyone's outside. <laughs> not everyone can go in, not everyone's invited, right? There's only so many people. Jesus is invited. So now everyone's waiting, and the, the image I get and the picture I get is of that crowd now even getting bigger, Right? I remember once my family and I, we were walking 
All I remember is between one station to another station somewhere in Tokyo, I would not be able to tell you where I was anymore because it was like Google Maps, you know, you're just following it. And then all of a sudden we came across what I would call a small crowd. And they were in front of some shop, but they were clearly waiting for someone. And I can't speak Japanese, but I just started asking everybody, who's here? Who are we waiting for? Why are we gathered here? And, I'm, and you know, I finally got a response from someone, Mbappe's here, some soccer player. I'm not a fan of soccer at that point, but I wanted to see Mbappe. So I made my family wait like at least 30 minutes with a crowd across the street from a store, and we're just standing there waiting. And as people are walking by, more tourists are now, well, what's this crowd? Who's here? And because I speak English, I'm like, Mbappe's here in that store. And the crowd is now getting larger and larger. We're all curious. We just want a glimpse. And I could imagine right here in Luke chapter 11, a scene similar to this, but on a much larger scale. You're walking and you see a crowd of people. You're going to stop. Who's here? What's this about? Oh, Jesus is inside. Man, you got to hear him teach. You got to hear what he says. It's different. He speaks with authority. It's unlike what we've heard before. He's got to be at least this great prophet. I, I don't know. Check it out. Just hang out. He's going to come out. It's just a meal. In that house, there's a famous dialogue, conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees. And if you look at Luke 11, and we have that for you, verse, I'll just read part of it, verses 39 to 44. All right, the setting is Jesus sits down to eat, but he doesn't wash his hands. He doesn't wash his hands. To the Pharisees, this is ridiculous. You are breaking one of their many rules they have added to the Old Testament rules or laws. And you are, this is unclean. This is not, you need to wash your hands. In response, this is what Jesus says. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and ruin every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And people walk over them without knowing it. So in response to Jesus knew what would happen, protests of him not washing his hands, he brings up the cups, the plates. And by bringing that up, he makes it a much larger argument. It's not just my hands. It's everything you guys do. Now here's a warning because he clearly says, woe to you Pharisees. And what is he speaking out against? What is he warning them about? You're only concerned about the external things, the cup and the dish being clean, but that is external. What's going on inside of your heart? 
What's going on in your lives? You're full of wickedness. You're full of greed. Does that mean you're clean? You tithe and you give. These are good things. You give alms, which was a special part, an important part of being Jewish to help those who need help, who are less fortunate than you. You do all of these, those things, but great. But what about the lack, right? Uh, where's this reward of you tithe men and, and neglect justice and the love of God? These are the things you're supposed to be doing. What is it you love? You love, you know, standing up and getting the best seat and being noticed. Finally, he says, woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. I was like, what does that mean? You're like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing this. I had to look it up. The Old Testament law, uh, uh, you cannot come in contact with a grave because that would make you ceremonially unclean. So you'd be unfit to enter into the synagogue. But the danger was if there was a a grave that was unmarked, and so you walk over it without knowing, without knowing that it was a grave. And now what happens? You're unclean. And Jesus says, that's what you are. You're an unmarked grave. You're like this trap. People are trying to follow all of your rules so that they become clean, but you know what you're doing? You're making them unclean. Some, some really harsh warnings given to the Pharisees. And then as he leaves that house, now there's all these crowds. And, and right, verse 1 says, look, the crowds are large. They're trampling each other. And what does Jesus do at this moment? He turns to his disciples. Right? He turns to his disciples at this moment. And, you know, it might be maybe partially, look, the disciples had risked everything to follow Christ. They had risked everything. Their their lives were at risk. Their their livelihoods were at risk. They left what they were familiar doing so that they could follow Jesus. And now what do they see? The crowds. The people gathered. And maybe for them this was validation. They had taken the correct, the right risk. But at that moment, Jesus turns to them and he begins to teach them. It's like the smaller teaching in the, in the large crowd. And he says, look, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Which is hypocrisy. And I can't help but think about what he had just said to the Pharisees just a little while ago in that home. He had just warned them, woe to you. The external stuff, all these laws, but inside, what is going on inside your heart? What's going on inside your life? And now he describes it to his disciples as the leaven of the Pharisees. That which can spread and contaminate or affect the entire batch. Hypocrisy, that word used once here in Luke. And I wonder if if this word was used intentionally because it would paint almost a picture, right? A word study described it as this, literally referring to someone acting under a mask. You know, back then, at least in ancient Greek, Greece, uh, actors would, would wear masks, right? And that mask would be the telltale sign of who they were trying to portray, who they were supposed to be. 
that word may have really fired up that imagery of, of someone putting on a mask and just acting. This was the leaven of the Pharisees. And probably for you and I, when we hear that word hypocrisy or hypocrite, maybe that's what we, that this is maybe exactly what we think of, right? Uh, on the outside, one way. On the inside, another way. You know, when, uh, I, I, I feel like I've told this before, and I know I have, but when I first decided to go into seminary and I started to tell people around me, I'm sure you must have imagined I was like, oh, of course you should go to seminary. But no, that was not the case. No one believed I should go to seminary, right? And it, would, it, it always turned out to be a case where they felt like, well, who are you? Why, why are you going to seminary? Right? The actions of my life did not lead to anyone believing I should be someone that would enter into seminary and becoming a pastor. I remember when I got married, I was like, okay, now I'm going to live with someone who's going to know everything about me. How I spend every moment of my day will be visible to my wife. And I remember thinking, man, what if she thinks I'm a hypocrite? Right? I'm telling everyone to love God, serve God, do this, do that. Let's go on missions. But at home, I like to watch ESPN. Saturday night, last night, what was I doing? Praying real hard on my knees over today's sermon. No, I was watching UCLA football. I was getting destroyed by Fresno State. A lot of fun. I should just not have watched. I was afraid that she would think I'm a hypocrite. That when I come to church, I put on a mask and I play the part of a pastor. But at home... I'm just a sinner. Jesus continues this warning in verse 2, and he says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. To me, this is frightening. Frightening. That all will be revealed. I remember in college, someone told me, all right, we're having a, I don't know why, a, a serious conversation about God. And she told me, this is what her father believes. And he was of some religious authority, important as I'm not going to. Anyways, he sa she said, my father believes that when we go to heaven, everything that we did as a Christian will be known and revealed to every other person. So every sin you committed, every evil thought you had, everything you said, everyone up in heaven will know what you did. Now, that freaked me out. I was like, wait a minute. Everyone is going to know everything I've ever thought, did, or said? Wow. That was scary to me. Right? Would that not frighten you? No one here looks scared. You guys are maybe better Christians than me. And for a while, for a while I thought, you know what? All will be revealed. I have to be really careful. 
Now, <laughs> we can get into this later, but I think that was wrong. <laughs> but, but, at least our Heavenly Father, for sure, yeah, everything that is whispered in the dark will actually be heard in the light. Everything. Nothing is hidden from him. Now, that basically goes hand in hand with that warning of hypocrisy, right? It's like, look, why put on that mask? God knows everything. He knows who you are. You will not be able to fool him. You will not be able to act your way through this relationship. Have you ever done that? Maybe it was a friendship that you weren't really into. You acted like a friend. You played your role. Just kind of went through it. It was easier to do that than to have a confrontation. You're not going to be able to do that with God. He's not going to be fooled. Now, the second half of this passage, which, which starts in verse 4, I tell you, all right? So, you know, maybe at this point, the disciples are like, whoa, freaking out, what's going on? And maybe this is why Jesus throws in, I tell you, my friends, all right? Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into, into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not, of the, uh, not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, if you're like me, this is one of those times that I'd be like, Jesus, which is it? Am I supposed to be afraid or not afraid? You're like saying, fear, then don't fear, then fear, then don't fear. I'd be an annoying disciple. Do not fear those who kill them. But instead, you have to fear God, right? Or don't fear God because he cares for you. So which is it? Uh, Alistair Begg, in his uh, sermon on Luke 12, he describes it I, not exactly in these terms. But he says... He wants his disciples to learn the fear, the fear that will lead to fearlessness. The fear that will lead to fearlessness. There is this description of a fearless person who is not afraid of death. I will not be afraid of someone who can harm me physically, even to the point of killing or murdering or ending my physical life here on earth. I will not even be afraid of that. There is this really incredible picture of fearlessness and boldness. And Jesus says, do not fear the person who can kill you. Instead, instead, fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. And that's an important distinction. What authority does any person here have? This great crowd before us, what authority do they actually have over you and I? Will you live your life 
fearing them, what they'll think of you, what they'll say about you, or even what they will do to you? Or will you fear the one who can cast you into hell? Now that's a warning. The one who has authority to cast you into hell. Meaning, the one person who actually has authority to judge you. Eternally. Eternally. I, I think about this, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I... I don't know how much time do I have here. Okay. I, I, uh, I was snorkeling. I was with family in the ocean, and I kind of was getting a little tired physically. Uh, been maybe maybe in the water forty minutes, uh, and at some point, for some reason, my uh, snorkel it got stuck, and I couldn't, you know, get air through through the tube, and I was trying to. Blow, I was, you know, if I blow through it maybe and I could kind of release whatever was stuck. And, and all of this extra action here now is getting me more tired. Right? You're like, you know, you know and I'm not really, I think my body was really designed to sink more than to float. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden, I don't know, I, don't, I really don't know why it happened, but I, I actually started to panic and I was like, I think this is it. I think this is how I go home. Snorkeling. And, and I remember, uh, <laughs> and if, if my daughter, she will remember this because she, it, it was very vivid for her too. I turned to my daughter and I said, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Probably not in that way. I said, I'm in trouble. I don't think I'm going to make it. She looked at me like, what? What are you talking about? I was like, I can't breathe. And I was like trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain. And I'm like, you go in, take care. I don't want to, you know, in my mind, I don't want to drown my daughter. And she's looking at me all like, what are you doing? And I guess I started kind of, and she's like, just get on your back. I remember she's like, just get on your back. You'll be fine, Dad. And I was like, that's all. Like, just, <laughs> and, and, you know, and I was like, I remember the funniest thing. She's later that day, she's like, you know what the funniest thing that was about that whole incident? She said, I was so panicked that even as I was on my back and my face is just, and I'm breathing, she said, I was still trying to breathe through the tube. And I was like, oh, man. But I could not fall asleep later that night. Because that feeling of like, oh, this is it. It was so real. I don't know how to describe it to you guys. I, I really thought I was drowning uh, uh, that day, you know. And I can't, I can't actually picture myself being someone that Jesus just described here. What? Not being fearful of someone who can kill me? I, I can't picture myself being like that. I, mean, I thought I was going to drown in the ocean there and I got all scared. To the point where I couldn't just get on my back. And maybe that's the same thing for you. Maybe you have in your mind this picture of yourself and you're like, oh, I, that's not me. In the face of death, I will certainly not be fearless. 
But I think maybe that was also the case for the disciples. And that's why I think it's so important what Jesus says next to them. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? That's basically saying, hey, look, these five sparrows, you can get five for two cents. Is there anything in, in the world today that you could buy five of for two cents? I, I can't think of it. Basically, it's an illustration of how in our economy, the sparrows are worthless to us. But Jesus says, not one of them is forgotten before God. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean God will guarantee that those five sparrows will live in the lap of luxury. That they will have these amazing mansion nests and never go hungry and never be sick or never be ill. But God has not forgotten them. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus reminds his disciples as he tells them to fear God, he says, but remember this, he will never forget you. And he knows you even better than you know yourself. Can you tell me how many hairs are on your head? Even if someone told me right now how many hairs I have to the exact number, how many hairs I have on my head right now, I know it's changing all the time. And tomorrow that number will not be the same. I don't know, but God does. He knows me better than I do. And he will not forget me. What does it mean to fear God? I put this quote in your, in your outline because I, I, I think it's a great quote. The fear of God always knows on the one hand that we have no business being in his presence and yet on the other hand that he made us to be in his presence. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. The fear of the Lord is the soul of religion, and there is a difference between being frightened of God and fearing God. Fearing God is that controlling sense of the majesty and holiness of God and the profound reverence that flows from it to him. The fear of God is that joy-filled reverence and awe of the one true God, which shakes us to the core of our being, and it brings forth a response of faith and love. J. Ligon Duncan. Take this quote and put it somewhere handy. Let it encourage you, let it remind you of what we are called to do. To be in reverent awe of the one who created us but not only created us, who saved us. See, I think the redeeming fact point of this passage is that Jesus Christ himself was never duplicitous in his own heart. He had such a pure heart of love for us that he did not fear those who would harm or destroy his body. He did not fear death on the cross. He was fearless because of his heart, his love for the Father, and his love for us. 
And so for us today, I believe our remembrance of who Christ is and what he's done for us is what will allow us to fear God. And then when we fear God, that would allow us to be fearless. And then when we're fearless before men, we can live not as hypocrites, but as true disciples of Christ. Amen? A lot of times, and I'll wrap up with this, when we talk about hypocrisy, we like to focus on the actions. What do I need to do differently? What do I need to change about my behaviors? How can I represent Christ better? And those are good intentions, but when we focus on that, we will only make a better mask. And maybe become even more hypocritical. The cure for hypocrisy is on the inside. To love Christ more. To fear him. To worship him. And so with that, I encourage you to Join the Bible studies to follow what's going on here in Luke, 12, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke on Sundays. To connect into your community groups. To make it not just about external things, but to grow our heart of love for Christ. All right? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. You were the ultimate example of what it means to not be hypocritical to not act apart, but to be pure of heart, to love the Father and to love us, even to the point of death on the cross for our sakes. And so we love you for that, but we do confess that we struggle in turn to not be hypocritical. That that is a very real challenge before us, that we are full of fear for men and of this world and what people think of us. All these things, Lord. So would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you grow our love for you, Lord? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.